dear future, this is History Calling. This is a league in 2022 embarking on a new adventure in just its fourth year. Amidst all the tackles, passes, saves and goals, this is a stage far grander than most where what takes place will be retold but never rewritten. You see, you know more than most. You never forget your first. And what a sumptuous affair this is. A debutante from Canada against a Goliath from Mexico. Years after this, we would see Canadian Premier League teams playing inside stadiums and on pitches only reserved for giants of our region. Multiple teams from the CPL qualifying each year to test themselves against the best. Yet it was in 2022 in Hamilton, Ontario, where it all started. You see, this is the CONCACAF Champions League. This is no invitational tournament. Exclusive spots are reserved and earned for only the best. Never was that more evident for Forge FC on their journey to the flag. Anything worth having is worth fighting for, and successful trips to El Salvador, Panama, and Costa Rica showed they belonged in the last 16 of the biggest club competition on this side of the world. Their reward? Fittingly, six-time winners, Cruz Azul. They could not have been handed a more difficult opponent. Yet here in history, we know things are always bigger than simply what happens in a game. Here in 2022, this is a competition belonging to Mexican sides. Major League Soccer crave what they have. Championships and firm holds on the magnificent trophy. Forge could have hoped for a far easier opponent. But for them, for their league, for their country, this is what was essential to feel and live every essence of this glorious competition. After all, this is the Champions League. And this is no better way for the CPL to take flight into a new frontier. Hello and welcome. This is the Champions League. It is back, CONCACAF Champions League, and the Canadian Premier League is in it. That's right. A massive thanks there to the video producers and everyone who put that together. Of course, courtesy of One Soccer with the great video. And One Soccer has the games live starting tonight with Montreal Impact. But more importantly for us here on the newsroom, Christian Jack, Charlie O'Connor Clark with you for the next hour to get you set for historic week in the Canadian Premier League as, that's right, Forge take on Cruz Azul tomorrow night, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock at Tim Hortons Field. Charlie, good evening. I get your juices flowing a little bit watching that one. You got me ready to run through a wall here. That was awesome. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's what I want to hear. That's what it should be about. This is an historic day, no doubt about it. And, um, you know, during the next hour, we're going to be talking a lot about Forge getting ready for Cruz Azul. Um, Charlie and I got some great guests. We've got Bobby Smirniotis coming on in the next 10 minutes or so to preview. That's right. The coach of the team uh, coaching the biggest game in their career uh, and in their life is joining us the night before the match. That's fantastic. We'll get to Bobby shortly. Uh, and also later in the show, John Arnold, who, if you know John, nobody knows CONCACAF better than John. He'll be breaking down some of the Mexican teams as well. And later in the show, we'll be joined by a friend of the show, Sandra Prasina, as, of course, the women's national team, the Canadian women's national team, get underway this week in the Arnold Clark Cup in England. She'll have all the stories around that, talking about that later in the show as well. Uh, before we bring in Bobby, though, Charlie, um, this has been a big story for us. I know you've been writing a lot about it as, as well. This is historic. No, that's what we tried to convey there in the message. And the great thing about this Forge team is they earned this. There's no invite here. They earned yeah. it last year, and now they get the prize of playing a great team and a giant six-time winner's Cruz Azul. Absolutely. And it's real now. It's real. I remember back in the fall when Forge qualified for this, when they beat Santos de Guapolis in that just unbelievable match at Tim Hortons Field, that comeback game. That was a magical night, and it was very exciting. And you know, there was a lot of excitement around that game just to say that Forge had qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League, but it still felt like this sort of nebulous, far-off thing in the future, <laughs> right? That it was going to happen eventually, but then the draw happened and it felt a little bit more real, but maybe a little bit more surreal as well to hear that 
you know, a CPL team is going to play Cruz Azul. They're going to go to right. the Azteca. They're going to play one of the biggest clubs in, in North America and, and one of the most supported clubs in the world. They're going to play them at Tim Hortons Field on their turf. But now that we're right here, it's real. It's happening. We've seen pictures of these Cruz Azul players in their massive parkas at Niagara Falls. <laughs> it, it's really, really exciting. And I, I think that, you know, it deserves all of this attention that it's getting because this is a massive moment for Forge and for the CPL as a whole. It is an enormous moment. Um, you know, we had that tagline at the league, the first year forever first, and they'll be for the forever first team, right? The great thing about the Canadian Premier League is it is evolving. It is growing. And we know with the ev the evolution of the CONCACAF Champions League that there's going to be more teams coming, right? There's going to be multiple teams in yeah. the CPL. That's what we said in the essay. There's going to be two teams from now on. But right now, today, the last day, that we've never had a Canadian Premier League team in this competition. Before we bring in Bobby, I guess, Charlie, the thing for me is that what I loved about covering this competition when I was with TFC and going down to Mexico is that how much the Mexican teams care. That needs to be really stressed here. Like we've got people who are watching this. Some people are asking me to explain this rules about you know, what were these teams. We saw Cruz Azul come in. They came in early. They're not coming in tonight. They came in a day earlier than some people thought, as you said, they're embracing the cold that is in Ontario right now. But these teams care. Monterey, Cruz, you know, destroyed them last year. This is what they are judged on every year. They believe they have a divine right to lift this, one of them every year, and they have every year. So the MLS teams have come close. But that's what makes it even more sweeter, that it's obviously the cream of the crop for them. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I know, yeah, obviously the Mexican teams have won this competition every year since it rebranded to the Champions League. Yeah. But that's a point of pride for them, right? That's a title that they don't want changed. That it would be, you know, quite devastating in Mexico for a team other than other than a Mexican team to win this competition. And whenever they lose, as they have done in the past to say MLS teams or I think some Costa Rican teams and other sorts of clubs have taken down Mexican sides before. It is a massive deal. And these clubs are are really invested in this tournament. So that makes it all a lot more fun. And just every single year, it seems to get more and more competitive as right. well, which I think is really important and a lot of fun. And I just cannot wait to see how Forge kind of copes with this new challenge because they've had so many of these challenges and, and these steps up and these different kinds of opponents before. And they've really done very well against all of them, but this is a completely new level. And I'm really excited to see how it goes. Yeah. It's a catch 22 a little bit for me in terms of, uh, you know, bringing this tournament in February, there's a distinct unfair advantage for North American teams. MLS have talked about that for a long time. Now CPL do Forge's last game was in December. Cruz are in the middle of their season. They literally just played on the weekend and lost in the last second of the match. Um, but there's also something quite unique about we're all waiting for the season to start here and how blessed we're having a competitive game in the middle of a freezing cold February here in this wonderful country. So and that's what I like about it. Anyway, enough about what I have to say. Let's bring in the man himself who's uh, really gracious enough to join us on the evening before the game. Here he is, Bobby Smirniotis. Um, I know it's been a bit of a long offseason. I'm sure, Bobby, that it feels a long time ago since you guys played on that night, that day against Pacific and, and obviously in that big final, but... How special is this for you? As you put your head on that pillow tonight, this has been obviously a massive uh, success for you and your team. Not even four years old yet, mate. And then you get to play a giant tomorrow night. And this must be something that you're really, really excited about. Yeah, I think it's a massive thing for, for our club. Uh, look at where we started, where we are right now. We've had great successes in, in these two years. And we're looking at a couple of championships and what we've done in the league. But I think the biggest thing uh, for us, especially in 2021, was pushing ourselves to to get into this competition, knowing that this competition would change going forward, and, and just uh, enjoying and embracing what the CONCACAF League has to offer. And uh, I'll always say that, you know, our experiences in those 16 were absolutely excellent. And, uh, you know, that's led to this culmination of being now into the top competition in the, in the continent. And Cruz Azul it is. We're getting ready. We've all got smiles on our face. And... Uh, Listen, we know it's a big challenge, uh, but uh, we've been up to big challenges before. Bobby, when you guys qualified for this tournament and you looked at the draw, I you I think we asked you before if you had a, a preferred opponent, and obviously you would have said no. But when you found out you were playing Cruz Azul, was the emotion a little bit different than if you'd gotten, say, an MLS team or something else? Obviously, you know uh, the history of of the club. Uh, if you follow world soccer, it's not just a matter of knowing our continent or or knowing what's going on in Concacaf Champions League. This is a world renowned uh, club that you know, and you know where they play in one of the shrines of football, and that, and that's a great opportunity uh, 
right off the bat. And I was asked by one of the uh, Mexican reporters uh, this week, you know, on, on what that will mean and what it will be. And, you know, I think it's a little bit similar to Cruz Azul uh, visiting Niagara Falls. Uh, you take a couple of pictures and you move on and you get ready to play a game. You know, those are all the things that you do. Uh, match day uh, minus one, match day minus two, and uh, and you move on to it. You know, the biggest thing, and I think I talked about it with KJ in the offseason, it's you look forward to these challenges. You know, as players, as coaches, as staff, it's it's something different and it's getting you a little bit out of your, out of your comfort zone. Um, but I think that's what makes us better. That's what pushes us uh, to go forward. And obviously, this is a unique period right now. We're sitting in uh, in February to play this game. We're not in mid-season form. Um, so we've had a great time, uh, you know, coming up with a game plan and getting the guys uh, as ready as possible for this match tomorrow. Yeah, let's get into it a little bit, Bobby. Obviously, not going to give out your, your game plan, but you have scouted Cruz Azul really well. And I, th- I don't think it's a secret. We all know. I mean, I did a lot of their games last year, particularly at the TFC. This is a really professional outfit, is it not? It's not a flamboyant open kind of football, the very, very tight, very, very organized, very disciplined and structured. That's some of the things I've noticed. I'd love to hear your take. What do you take on when you watch this team? Yeah, no, definitely. They're a team that knows what they want on the field, whether they're on the ball or whether they're uh, looking into their defensive blocks. Uh, they're a very structured team. Coach does a great job with them, I think, in uh, in all phases of the game. And you see that the players, doesn't matter, uh, you know, what their uh, what their worth is on the market. They're, they're out there and they're playing for the team. And I think that's the same thing we'll see. You know, it's, it's their DNA, whether they played Nakaksa on the weekend or, or Monterey um, earlier on. And you see them playing against different uh, teams in the league, different styles. Um, they stick to their guns. So it's, uh, I think that makes it a very interesting match. You know, we, I think, are both teams that, uh, that run a certain philosophy. Um, we stick to it. Uh, we play to it. Uh, and that'll be interesting for me to see uh, tomorrow night on what their approach is to the game as well. Yeah, it should be really interesting to see you know, exactly how they approach that kind of game. Bobby, you said earlier that this is a bit of a culmination of what you guys have done in CONCACAF. It's, you know, a bit of a promised land, so to speak, but it's not an ending. It's not, you're not here just to be here and to, you know, you know, participate and go home, right? This is a game that you guys are going to play and, and you know, be competitive in, hopefully. What is the message to the players in that sort of sense? Obviously, Cruz Azul is a team with history behind them, with a lot more money behind them, but just in terms of, Speaking to your players about not being intimidated by this matchup, what is the message there? You know, I think we've learned a lot over the last uh, three years because uh, when you go back uh, a couple of years and uh, and you're playing in that first time in Concacaf League and you're playing Olympia at home at that point, you know Olympia looks like a uh, like a massive club. Uh, you're a club of about six months, um, but you play it with your confidence. You play to what you believe in. You play to your strengths, and I think when you do that, you start neutralizing some of these. Uh, some of these effects uh, that opponents uh, may have on you just by the name. And I think that's what we're doing here. And uh, I've said it before, and uh, it was uh, the late, great Johan Cruyff who, uh, who said that he's never seen a bag of money score goals. Um, so, you know, it's, it's we're out there. We've got 22 players on the pitch, hopefully a, a, a very good crowd in Hamilton, and we're able to play our football. You know, that's the one thing that, uh, that I've asked of the team, to go out there and play our football. And I think if we do that, positive things come and not deviate a lot from it based on whoever the opponent may be. You know, it's it's not just, uh, you know, playing for the occasion, just be part of it, go out there and play your game. You know, not uh, not too high and not too low is usually what I uh, like to talk to the team about and that's uh, usually what I look like on the sidelines, I guess. Definitely. On that point, Bobby, let's talk about being even keel then because it can't always be that way. No, like in the off season, when you're attracting players to come play for you, you know, you've, you've gone through a little bit of a recycle now, you know, some players have gone and, you know, we've, you know, Cissé going out to Morocco and obviously, you, you know, you've lost Babouli and players like that. You brought in other ones, but that this has got to be part of the discussion. No, come play Champions League football with us. I know you're an even kill guy, but at the end of the day, that's a massive sell point for some of these players, surely. Yeah, hundred percent. That's uh, that's what you're looking at. You've uh, we've been able to have the success over these years that uh, we don't just have a story to tell, but we have a reality to talk about. And the reality this year is is Champions League, and I think that's a that's a massive uh, draw, whichever way it uh, it may go, and other things that come along with our club. So that's definitely something we talk about uh, with the players, and we've seen a little bit of a turnover in the in the squad. And I think that's what excites players about being here. It's a little bit of our history, and yes, we're talking history. Uh, with three years, um, but the history and and what we've been able to win. But I think most importantly, what our identity is, and our identity is football. It's what we do on the pitch. And I think that's what's led us uh, into this competition. 
and what we hope will uh, keep on pushing us in this competition. I do actually want to get a little bit deeper into some of those new faces that have come in because Forge have been a club that has been quite consistent and had some continuity in its squad most seasons. But this year, you guys have brought in some, you know, strategic and, and targeted additions. I'm thinking Taryn Campbell and Alessandro Hajabrapur, obviously. But the one that I really want to ask about is Ashton Morgan, who I think has played more CONCACAF Champions League games than any other Canadian player. So how much of how, how much, you know, was this competition part of, of, you know, the conversations with bringing him in and what does he bring to you guys at this point? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, when you look at turnover, I think it's uh, it's natural with most of the players that we've seen uh, move on. They're moving on to, you know, what we'd like to say, bigger and better things. And, uh, you know, we're very happy uh, for that. But uh, we make sure that we're planning ahead and, you know, we're trying to keep uh, the identity of the team as uh, the same as possible. You know, changing the players, putting them in the positions, but in the, a little bit of the same qualities. And I think we've seen that in, in most of the player additions uh, uh, that we've made. You know, Ashton was a, was a need we needed at the, at left back with Columbia we were moving on. And, you know, you always want to try and balance what you bring in with youth, sometimes experience. I think it's good in, a, in an organization or in a club in the dress room to have a couple of experienced players. Obviously, going into Champions League, he's a player who's who's done that. He's performed at that level. And I think he's, uh, he's fit in right away. And, you know, for him, uh, just talking to him and seeing how much he's actually followed the league and followed our club, um, you know, I thought it was a it was a no brainer in bringing this guy in here, and uh, it's been a great uh, first few weeks in uh, getting prepared. And uh, we'll hit the field tomorrow night and see how that goes. Last one from me, Bobby, is you mentioned the the the, the journey here in the Concacaf League and those sixteen games and all of that. Players always tell me, you know, the many things they love about you, but how you, they're always prepared. You're always prepared for everything in these. But what have you learned yourself during these games? Because Obviously, your coaching resume is, is, is tremendous now, but we're always evolving. You're learning yourself every time. You'll learn something tomorrow night. But what have you learned during this CONCACAF odyssey, so to speak, in terms of coaching tactics to trust your gut, maybe to go a little bit different? What have you learned on all this journey? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is you have these ideas uh, before you get into competitions like this or of the region, and, and you start putting those uh, to the test. And I think uh, that's the biggest thing, and it's uh, – managing the players, managing uh, the environments um, that we're going into. You know, our CONCACAF journey has been a little bit different with a lot of games uh, on the road and, and just managing the psychology of the players uh, through all of that in some different periods last year through a COVID period and, and spending, can't remember how many days it was uh, consecutively in Central America this year, having to play the first two legs in El Salvador and having the guys down there for nine days. Um, so we've we've gone through some different things. And then on the tactical side, I think it's it's been absolutely great for development of, of myself as a coach because you're seeing things uh, that are much different to, to what we see a lot of times, not only in the Canadian Premier League, um, but, you know, within Canadian Premier League and MLS and the tactics. Um, teams and the countries are always a little bit different in how they do things, how they set up um, their defending blocks, uh, where they press, you know, in certain countries, it's very similar. So it gets you, I don't want to say outside of your comfort zone, but it gets you to start thinking a lot differently. Uh, and for me, I think uh, that's important. I like my team to play differently on the field. You know, the principles are the same, same. Uh, but we've learned to move things around. We've learned to to work in zones of the field in different places against different opponents. And I think that's just benefited the team as they, they continue to grow. And I think we saw that last year as, as the season went on, we kept on getting better. And I think a lot of that had to do with CONCACAF. Last one from me, Bobby. I know we kind of spoke about this a little bit earlier, but tomorrow, the home leg at Tim Hortons Field, you've already spoken about the crowd that you're hoping to see there. I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be as cold as it could have been. I think it's like eight degrees at kickoff, but you guys are on your turf, right? You do, you've do. you done very well on your own turf in CONCACAF and in pretty much every competition. How important is that for this game and what kind of ways can you maybe find an advantage tomorrow? Talk about a weather swing, huh? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, no, we, we play some excellent uh, some excellent football on the at Tim Hortons Field. You know whether it's uh, the quality, and I know it's an artificial uh, surface, but the quality is great. Uh, the size uh, works for us. Uh, it's been talked about the size of Tim Hortons Field over the last month, um, but the size uh, and just the the way we work about it and the energy we just get from being in our home. I think uh, the guys really draw on that, and you know it's something we take pride in when we look at Concacaf competitions. Uh, we've yet to lose. Uh, at Tim Hortons Field, and that's one of the big uh, major points we've been talking about. You know, we, we have to have some starting points of going into this game outside of the tactical components because we know it's going to be a fight. 
going to be a fight. You're playing a team that's in mid-season form. And for us, it's not about, uh, you know, what energy levels you have. It's you have all the energy levels you need to play these games. That's 100. One thing I'm 100% uh, sure of, uh, especially when you play at home in the comforts of your area. And we may not have the cold, but I think we'll get the Hamilton win tomorrow. Nice one. Looking forward to that win. And you'll always keep us guessing. You, you got that unbeaten run at home, Bobby, because at one point, I think you had five strikers on the pitch against Matagua and Bobby <laughs> and Charlie and I are trying to work out Babuli's playing in midfield now. You just, you just threw them all on there. Championship manager style at that point. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to see what's out there and you got to go with it. Just get the difference makers on the pitch, right? That's the key. Good for you. Hey, hey listen, again, I can't thank you enough. I know it's a busy time and uh, tomorrow is a tremendous honour. It's an honor for our league, and uh, and I can't think of a better man and a better team to represent us tomorrow. So good luck. Enjoy it. We'll see you in Hamilton, and uh, go get him. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Enjoy it. Appreciate it. We will. Bobby Sminiotis of Forge FC. Uh, before Charlie and I get into a little bit more on this, uh, our team was down at Tim Hortons Field earlier today in training. You saw some of the shots there that, that were there, and we caught with a couple of players. Let's first hear from Tristan Borges, who's back now with Forge and continue his loan. Here's his thoughts ahead of tomorrow night's match. It's an early preseason than what we're used to, but um, the mentality from the group has been great. We're excited for the game. We know it's a big, uh, big opponent. The nerves always, uh, always can sometimes get the best of you, right? But um, the nerves are good. But he tries to, you know, just to get everybody controlled and understand how important the game is, but also to know what our job is. A lot of people know how big the game is and, and things like that, but to really break it down and to see how important it is for players and for the club and you know for coaches, for everybody uh, you know in the organization, it's big for the league also as well. Just looking at what three years in, going into the fourth one now, we're already competing in competitions like this. It's it's huge, right? So it's just nothing but excitement from the team right now, and it's uh, it's definitely going to be a big game. Fantastic to hear Tristan there and his enthusiasm. He's going to be a big part of this team. You know, we've seen Charlie tactically where this team has played a midfield three at, at times and put Borges out wide in a front three. And a lot of times they've played him as a 10. So it'll be interesting to see what they do yet uh, in this game tomorrow. But just great to have Borges back as be that X factor for this team against Cruz Azul to get that chance when they might need it. Yeah, absolutely. And we know how talented he can be. We know he's got that wand of a left foot when he cuts inside on it. And we know that he can step up in the big games when it matters. You know, he scored in a final for Forge before. He scored in the CONCACAF League for them. We maybe didn't see the best of him in the 2021 season, I think, at times, because there were injuries and things like yeah. that. But we can't forget just how good this player is and can be and how hungry he is to prove himself, especially in these massive games against, you know, the big opponents on the big stage. So I think he will be a difference maker for this club in this, in this tie against Cruz Azul and, you know, hopefully for him in this season as well. Yeah, no doubt. If you have any questions, by the way, for Charlie and I, she's put them in the chat, the comments down the side there. I know we're live and we're trying to get different uh, guests in and stuff, but we'll try and get to a couple of questions if we certainly have it. We'll be down at Tim Hortons Field tomorrow night. A reminder, 8 o'clock Eastern kickoff. Uh, if you're on the fence about going, as Charlie said, it's not going to be cold, uh, so you can get nope. down there. It's, you're not going to be freezing. Uh, a beautiful February day. Uh, where you're going to get Cruisers, all the six-time champions of this competition, coming to Hamilton to play the first ever Canadian Premier League team ever to play and step foot in the CONCACAF Champions League in a last 16 a leg one clash. So uh, tickets still available. Go down there, support Canadian soccer, and uh, come say hi to us. It is that kind of special night, you know, that I think is pretty, you know, I think it's really important to think that, you know, when you look back at this moment, this is a pathway, you know, and I, I think that, of course, we get lost in wins and losses and the score lines. And of course, Bobby Sminiotis, Tristan Borges, whoever's going to have on from the club, they're going to want to win that game, Charlie. But for us, you know, it's, yeah, it'd be amazing if Forge were able to win that game, but there's just something bigger than this tomorrow night, than, the, than, than wins and losses here. Yeah, there is. And, you know, the fact that they're here and that we're talking about this is already this massive accomplishment. And as soon as the whistle goes and they kick off, they're playing Cruz Azul it will be the biggest game that this club's ever played, the biggest test that they've had probably by far, I think, because, you know, Cruz Azul are a team that even the MLS teams that Forge that Forge play in a Canadian championship, they would have trouble with Cruz Azul as well. So this is going to be a right. fascinating test, right? right? We saw TFC lose to them in, in this very competition last year, but we can't, we, we still have to say anything can happen. You know, the first round of this competition last year, Cruz Azul played Arcai, the Haitian yeah. team that Forge lost to in That's the right. previous CONCACAF League. So they got into that competition by beating Forge 
and they had a nil-nil draw at home in the first leg, right? That's they right. went on to lose 8-0 in the second leg at the Azteca, but that was a massive result for that club. And I'm confident that Forge are a better team than Arcahai. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't rule anything out in this game, especially on the turf that they will know far better. We've seen what can happen when, you know, teams come into Canada and play on turf in the last couple of months. So, you know, you can't rule anything out. Can't rule it out. No. And Cruz Azul are, are a, a, a tough team, but they're not a splash blocking team. You know, they're not going to be open. open yeah. stuff. They're happy to keep it Absolutely. tight. Um, our friend Benedict asked that we've heard about the additions. Who's the biggest loss uh, from the 2021 Ford team? Benedict's just tossing up a softball for me to just smack out of the park because he knows my love for Elamon Cisse yep. here, right? I mean, this <laughs> we're is... gonna have we're gonna have predictably different answers, I think. Here, yeah, <laughs> for me, Cisse, um, I'm gonna miss him. I'm not gonna lie, one of my favorites, no doubt about it. And he's gonna be a tough loss to to replace. Good luck to him in Morocco. Um, I think they've covered it well. I mean, there's there's a number of guys coming in, right? So yeah. uh, in that midfield role. Um, and you know we'll have to find out how long Crutzen's going to be out. I mean, he's not he's not a loss, but he's not you know ready to go from what we believe um, as he rehabs back from his injury. Uh, but yeah, that's that's for me is is my answer, uh, Charlie. Yeah, and and my condolences, KJ. Thanks, but buddy. Appreciate it, that. It is it is a very significant loss. I might lean to Kwame Owua being the bigger of the losses just because of how integral he's been to the way the club has you know, played in all three seasons, the kind of energy that he's brought to this team. He was unbelievable as a left back for this team last season, especially yeah. in CONCACAF. He produced some phenomenal moments in that specific competition. And he was just a big part of the identity and the culture at this club at Forge, right? And it was right. genuinely very surprising to see him move on. I, it, it sounds like it maybe didn't work out with his trial with the Whitecaps. We don't necessarily know where he's going to land, but He's confirmed and the club has confirmed that he's moving on, which I think will be a loss. But I suppose of the positions, I think they probably have addressed it quite well with bringing in Ashton Morgan, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say. And I think, look, Kwame is uh, hopefully he's got an extremely bright future and he'll land on his feet. But tactically, he was able to do things last year, ask the Bobby Smirniotis that you just don't get to see a lot in this kind of level. You know, that inverted yeah. role in a center back, sorry, left back and moving inside in midfield where his position has been obviously played before. Uh, tactically was outstanding. No, no doubt about that. A very good defender and very good going forward as well. So he'll be a loss, but um, he has been replaced by Ashton Morgan. Um, and we did speak to Ashton this morning at training. So here's a look on Ashton Morgan. As we said earlier, the most experienced Canadian to ever play in the CONCACAF Champions League. From being the past playing the Champions League, it's been amazing for me and my career. It helped me start my career playing for TFC back in the day in 2011. You know, uh, just traveling to Mexico and all these different places to see the world. It's been a great time and uh, hopefully I get to help bring that wisdom and stuff to, uh, to the to Forge. So yeah, I've been around for, for a while now, you know, and uh, just being here with the lads and I think I could use my experience to try to help us in any way, just with my experiences of being on the field, off the field, you know, and uh, I try to tell everybody that it's been, it's a special moment in our careers to be able to, to, to play in the Champions League. Again, it's a great experience, and I uh, can't wait to get going with, uh, with Forge. One, two, three, Forge! Let's go, boys. Let's have a good day tomorrow. Thanks to Ashton, a tremendous addition. And Charlie and I caught up with him if you need to go listen to that back on our newsroom podcast last week. Uh, some great stories there, particularly in playing in the final for TFC and what a run he had, and uh, quite literally as well to, for the run of the, with, the, with the back post goal in the sem- in the semifinal there that set BMO Field alight there when they won 3-1 in the semis as well. So... Uh, great to have Ashton Morgan back in the CONCACAF Champions League. Talking of CONCACAF, whenever we need to talk about CONCACAF that's just not just Canada, there really is only one man to get onto the show. I'm delighted now to be joined uh, by John Arnold himself. Let's bring him into the show because this guy um, knows everything and more about CONCACAF. He is the best in the business. John, Christian and Charlie, great to see you, my man. Good to see you guys as well. I'm always happy when there's CONCACAF games to be discussed and exciting times for Canada across the board, right? So uh, we'll look forward to chatting a little bit this evening. Yeah, thanks for joining us, John. Obviously starts with the Champions League and, you know, we want to get into the, mainly this Forge clash and we're going to get into the CONCACAF Champions League across the board in a second. But Forge get Cruz Azul. We talked a little bit to Bobby Smirniotis earlier in the show a little bit about them. We know a little bit about them last year and how well they've done. But what kind of task is this going to be for Forge? What what are they getting right now with Cruz Azul 
uh, that some of our viewers need to know? Well, you look at this Cruz Azul team, and it's a Cruz Azul team that is, you know, kind of surpassed the biggest hurdle in decades for Cruz Azul in simply winning the league again. It was since 1997, one of the longest droughts of any grande, these four traditionally big Mexican clubs, one of the longest title droughts any of those teams have ever had. So uh, they've got that kind of curse broken, and it really did feel like a curse at times. You know, they were so famous for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, that the verb Cruz Azulear became uh, a word that people used to describe that exact phenomenon of being so close to victory and then falling short. They got over the line in the spring, and I think fans are still enjoying that, riding that high, and, and why shouldn't they be? I think this is the strongest Mexican team on paper in the CONCACAF Champions League, but this being Cruz Azul, maybe there's still a bit of those ghosts of the Cruz Azulear days because in the last few days, guys, there's been controversy in the club's front office, the sporting director that kind of had been credited with building a lot of the, the, the title roster and kind of keeping everyone happy, bringing in manager Juan Reynoso, a club legend who, who then became an even more of a club legend by winning this title, uh, was kind of friends with this guy and then he leaves because of reasons that are sort of unclear. Cruz Azul's corporate structure, it's the cement company. That, that's where the name comes from. It's gone through changes. There have been accusations against various people in the sporting structure and the commercial structure. So I think that when you look at the Cruz Azul team on the field, they're extremely experienced. They know what Juan Reynoso wants to do. They understand the idea. So you are sort of hoping that there's a little spillover from some of these off-field controversies, maybe, you know, cascading from the director's box down to the field. But I'll tell you guys, the Azteca, as you know, it's huge. And it's a big gap from that director's spot to the field. So it's going to be a tough task for Forge. And I think every team that comes up against Cruz Azul in the CONCACAF Champions League this time around. Yeah, I think so too. And Cruz Azul, I think, are a club that will be fairly familiar to Canadian football fans that have been paying a lot of attention. Obviously, they played Toronto FC in this competition last year, and I think a lot of us will have seen how good they can be. They saw Brian Angulo scoring three goals in two legs. But, John, maybe if you can tell us a bit about, you know, what's changed for them since then and what, as from a footballing sense, we might be able to expect from them heading into this tie with Forge. Yeah, I would say the biggest change is that you are seeing some, you know, it's funny because Angulu is kind of the guy who steps in, but that was the reserve lineup, right? That's how deep Cruz Azul runs is that they feel and sometimes can beat MLS teams in CONCACAF Champions League without some of their top stars. But Jonathan Cabecita Rodriguez, uh, forward for Cruz Azul for many years, part of that title run is now playing in the Middle East, um, actually joined up with P.T. Martinez, who MLS fans will, will remember as well. So uh, he's gone. There's some other personnel changes. Uh, you know, there were actually a lot of interleague swaps this year in Mexico. Not a lot of Mexican national team players moving abroad, but guys like Luis Romo, who is a big anchor for the Cruz Azul midfield, sort of in this Rafa Marquez role where he could play in that defensive midfield spot. He could also slot back between the center backs or play as a center back if needed. He could push forward and join the attack. He's no longer with the team moving to Monterrey, but in that sort of swap deal with Rayados, they got a player named Charlie Rodriguez, another talented, bright Mexico international, not as defensive as Luis Romo, but a two-way midfielder who's been kind of playing with more chance creation than I've seen him use in the past. So it's been interesting to watch uh, what he's done with Cruz Azul. And in a swap with Chivas, they picked up Uriel Antuna, who played with the Galaxy for a long time, played with Mexico at the Gold Cup, um, in 20, well, starred for Mexico, I guess you could say, in the World Cup in 2019 when they saw uh, Canada in the group stage as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, you know, some familiar names that are new faces around Cruz Azul, but well known uh, to fans of, of CONCACAF soccer, of Mexican soccer. Those are the big personnel changes. On the field, this team looks a lot like it did when they played Toronto FC. You know, it's Juan Reynoso having that idea. And really, it's a team that I think depends on the solidity of the back. That starts and ends, I think, a lot of ways with Jesus Corona, the extremely experienced goalkeeper, directing a back line that includes Pablo Aguilar, uh, Julio Cata Dominguez, uh, these experienced center backs, these kind of pillars that make it so difficult to beat them from the run of play on set pieces, and they're so dangerous as well when they're able to get forward. I think the team kind of starts there and builds. 
maybe a, a bit of a weakness could be Eric Lira in the defensive midfield, who's kind of trying to replace Luis Roma, but he's playing next to Rafa Vaca, another experienced player, used to play for the San Jose Earthquakes back in the day, capable of golazo with a great shot from distance, but himself not necessarily the, the most sort of gritty midfielder. So I think that's one area where if, if a team has a creative player, a traditional number 10 maybe, you could see Cruz Azul having a bit of trouble shutting them down if the wingers are able to get in behind the talented defenders that, that Cruz Azul has. So I think when you're looking at this team, the strengths about the same as last time, the weaknesses maybe in that center midfield. But look, it's a team that, that has to be among the favorites to win the CONCACAF Champions League. And, and they've built the right way, I guess you'd say, and, and haven't really taken any big hits uh, from that team that did so well last year, winning the title and, and playing well in the CCL. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. John, what do you make of Forge? What do you make of this rise of the Canadian Premier League? You know CONCACAF better than most. I know it's not just about the Mexican teams, although at the end of the day, when they lift the trophy, it seemingly is. Uh, but there's a lot of great stories in CONCACAF. But this is right up there, is it not? The way they went out and you know played in all these different regions and you know went to Costa Rica and Panama and you know, did a lot of this stuff last year to earn their place in this competition. Yeah, I, I mean, I profiled last year the logistics manager because it's, you know, <laughs> it has to be quite difficult to get all the flights booked and everything. Thankfully, now, and we pray that it continues to go that direction, it's easier to get into Canada. People aren't getting sick. You know, we're, we're, we're thankful for those measures. But when you look at the Azteca and the mystique around the Azteca, it's a difficult place to play. You know, I've had the privilege to walk in. I've never played there. <laughs> I've had the privilege to walk into the empty stadium. I've had the privilege to do a lot of games there with fans. Uh, you know, they're... They're still not back to full capacity, and I don't think this is one that people have circled on the calendar necessarily with all respect to, of course, I love the competition. I like what Forge is doing. But, you know, it's not necessarily the crowd that will kill you. But I think when you look at what Forge has done, if there's a team that maybe wouldn't be intimidated by the Azteca, it could be them. You know, having to play in these extremely difficult environments, having to figure out hotel logistics, managing the difficulties, uh, you know, during a pandemic crossing borders, figuring out training sites. Those are the things that can be difficult, even in Mexico City, an established place with lots of different places where you can train and play soccer. So, you know, I think Forge is a fantastic story, especially when you look even deeper and can kind of trace it back to the Sigma days, right? And this growth that you've seen uh, for soccer, you know, in the Hamilton area, in in, in Ontario, you know, it just seems like it, it truly is a grassroots story that's built up. So I, I think it's a, you know, it's going to be an extremely tall task, but it's it's a it's a it's a huge accomplishment for Forge to make it. And and I think you know when you look at the Concacaf Champions League format change that's coming soon, it's a credit to Forge that they made it without having those guaranteed Canadian Premier League slots. Just like I think you know MLS teams, maybe I'm making this up as a Concacaf guy, but I feel like there's a bit of pressure on MLS teams to win before that tournament format changes because. If not, you say you guys never won it under the old format. I think you could have lodged the same criticism against Canadian Premier League teams. Oh, you're only in here because you're guaranteed a slot in this future format. But Ford said, we don't need to be guaranteed a spot. We'll go the CONCACAF League route. We'll go to Central America. We'll play in the Caribbean. And they've done it. So I think it's a big credit to, to the project that they have there. And also to taking this tournament seriously, which uh, maybe not enough teams do or or can't do because of financial reasons or government problems or whatever. So um, I think it's an extremely nice CONCACAF story and, and credit to everyone involved. Yeah. And I think that's something that Bobby Smyrniotis and a lot of other people at Forge have said as well about how important it was to them to kind of accomplish this before really anybody else had a chance to in the Canadian premier league uh, with the, the expansion and the spots. Uh, John, we were talking about this a little earlier, but you will obviously know better than than most people. How is the CONCACAF Champions League scene down in Mexico? How do these clubs approach this tournament? I know that obviously they've won every competition, but they have had, you know, tough moments. They've been upset several times. Just how do these clubs approach it and view this competition at the moment? It definitely depends club by club. And manager by manager. It was funny because last year America made the final and complaining all the way. You know, the sporting director came out to say it was more of an inconvenience for America to be in this tournament rather than being able to focus on Liga Mekis and, and some of the other goals that they have. You know, Mexico, the fans still have this strong yearning to be in the Libertadores which I understand because it's a great tournament. The Libertadores is fun. You have these moments where, you know, a team goes and plays in the Bombanera or, or El Monumental, and, and those are amazing moments. But you also had a lot of 
weird and forgettable moments. But but I think the Mexican fan and some of the Mexican club directors and certainly some of the Mexican press still have this crush on, you know, for Valentine's Day, this crush on Condable. They see themselves as, you know, soccer-wise, culturally more South American with the language, with the success they've had in the past, and, and just even the games that they've had being part of Copa America on the, on the international level or Copa Libertadores on the club level. So the tournament, I think, is being taken a little more seriously as teams like Forge, as MLS teams, as, as more teams kind of come up, you know, Olympia a couple of years ago making the run to the semifinals from Honduras. But ultimately, you can understand why Mexican teams don't necessarily give it their all, put 100% into it, because they always win. I mean, it, it is something where at the end of the day, it feels like it becomes this Mexican competition and that won't change. I, I say kind of over and over, not until another team from MLS, from the Canadian Premier League, from Costa Rica, from Honduras wins, but until that success is sustained, I don't think Mexican clubs will really start to to lock down and put the focus on this tournament because there's not really any motivation to, and then it, at the end it becomes kind of a domestic tournament. So until we see sustained success from another league or teams from other leagues, I don't think Mexico will have this cultural importance uh, for the tournament. You know, when I'm in Mexico, sometimes to literally cover the games that are being played the next day for CONCACAF Champions League, you walk into a bar and there's soccer on, and it's sometimes a replay of a domestic league game played the night before, and there's another live CONCACAF Champions League game on that night with a Mexican team, and it's just no one's asking for that channel to be on, no one's putting that game on. Uh, there is a bit of a, of a lack of interest until the later rounds. So, you know, I'd love to see it change. I, I hope that, that you know, we see kind of a, a competition that has the magic of European nights or Libertadores nights, and there certainly have been moments, of course, in the CONCACAF Champions League, but I think we need even more of those. We need more teams like Forge to try and spring a surprise, like MLS teams to, to actually lift the trophy, then I think we'll really see the region uh, as a whole take it seriously, including Mexico. Last question for you, John, is you've got your finger on the pulse of everything you've talked about Mexico there. What about Canada with this unbelievable year that they've had with the men and obviously the women win the gold? What's been the big talk across the region uh, when you're speaking or reading the Mexican press or you're down in Central America? What What's the big talk about Canada right now and what's impressed you the most about this unprecedented time in, in, in soccer here? Yeah, it's it's been incredible. I mean, I think you just hear people be stunned. You know, I, you don't you don't expect to see the men in number one. The women have such a great winning tradition that you know. I was speaking actually this week with a story that you can read on my newsletter uh, here in a couple of days with Mexico manager Monica Vergara, and she said, you know, I love having Canada as a neighbor. I love having U.S. as a neighbor as well because it makes us better. It makes us raise the standard, and it's kind of an example. We've been used to seeing that on the women's side, and the gold medal I don't think was a huge shock great accomplishment, but maybe not a surprise, but the men in first place, you know, Mexico again has this mentality of, well, we're the best in the region, we're the grande, we're the number one, we're the king. And when you look at the standings and it's not the US on top and it's not Mexico on top, I think in Mexico, it certainly draws attention. So uh, it's definitely, you know, drawn a lot of attention. And I continually, you know, reporting on some of these stories with smaller teams, speaking to managers and sporting directors in Central America and in the Caribbean, Canada's being repeatedly cited as an example to follow. You know, even Mark Collat, who was the, the manager of Haiti, who Canada yeah. uh, lost to at the Gold Cup and then beat in qualification. He's now coaching Martinique. And he said, look, if I was still the manager of Haiti, you know, maybe we could have extended this process. You know, maybe we could have had this uh, similar to Canada run pointing to Canada as the example for sticking with their manager, for, for using the process, for not being reactionary after that disappointing elimination to Haiti. You know, Mark Collat said, you know, you should have kept me around basically. And uh, and then maybe we could have had a little different luck in qualification. We'll see what he does with Martinique at the Gold Cup. But I I use that to, to say that Canada has become this example, this standard, this striving point where, they, where, where I think managers and sporting directors in the region say, if they could do it, if they could go from such a long absence from the World Cup to number one in the region on the men's side, why couldn't we? Why couldn't we make a similar run? So I think it's positive for the region. You know, rising tide lifts all boats, similar to the CONCACAF Champions League. If we have teams competing with these Mexican teams to win the trophy, to lift the trophy, then everyone has to get better. So I think it's a, you know, look, as an American, fun story and, and, and a fresh kind of moment for the region that I think a lot of people are really enjoying. Yeah, it certainly is fresh, no doubt about it. We're enjoying it here. And uh, look, I could I'm talk sure. to you about I could talk to you about football all day, man. But we got to let you go. Um, 
uh, at Arnold Comma Connor Con I'll get it out Arnold Comma John in a second I, I, on Twitter. But where can everybody else find your excellent work? Yeah, I have a newsletter called Getting Concacaft where I tell these stories from around the region. It's getconcacaft.substack.com. If you find the Twitter, uh, you can find it. I always joke that you know. Since I cover CONCACAF, I have to make everything just a little too complicated. But hopefully people can find me and we can keep this chat going over there. Sounds great, John. Keep up the great work. We'll speak to you again soon and enjoy the CONCACAF Champions League being back. Thanks, guys. You too. Take care. John Arnold, he's the best. Follow him because he knows everything there is to know about CONCACAF. And before we bring on our next guest, Charlie, I don't know about you. I don't listen, I've listened to John for years on BBC and many others. Him praising Canada like that, wow. Like just yeah. saying that as a shining example to Haiti and all these other countries now using Canada as that example is, uh, I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't be, but it's still kind of surreal a little bit. Yeah, we're uh, we're having these moments all the time now, I think, right? Where just all of these moments where you, you look or you hear something, you're like, is this actually happening? Is this real? Is Canada in this spot as a footballing country after, you know, where we were, 10 5 3 years ago even it's it's just remarkable and obviously it's going to continue getting even more remarkable i think yeah no doubt uh hello to ranjit hello to benedict says hello to space taco uh to manny <laughs> all of you guys on the on the chat appreciate it get in your comments if you got any questions we've got about 20 minutes left in the show put your questions down there and we'll try and get to some before the end of the show time now for our third and final guest uh sandra Prasina joins us from city tv in Calgary. Uh, she's here to talk about a big time around the turn. We talk about big week in soccer here in the Canadian Premier League. It's not just a big week in Canadian Premier League. It's a big week for Canadian soccer as uh, Sandra joins us now to talk about the women's national team who are sleeping in their beds in the UK right now because they're playing in the Arnold Clark Cup in England this week. Uh, Sandra, thanks for joining us. Christian and Charlie, how are you? Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing great. Thank you. Uh, better for having you on the show. This is exciting time, no? Because obviously, competitively, the last time they kicked the ball uh, was Julia Grosso's penalty. And I know they've had some you know, celebration games since, but these games are important now, no? Is that the message I think we hear from the team that it's now time not to necessarily forget the gold medal, but to play some real competitive games again going forward? Yeah, and build on something for going forward. That's exactly, I think, the mentality going into this tournament. You're playing three top 10 teams, and I think that's what's really crucial, and they're all European. And when a World Cup rolls around, you're going to face a European team. What I think 11 qualify, so whether it's in the group stage and then in the knockout stage, you have to find a way to beat them. And you look back on France, and Canada couldn't get by Sweden for whatever reason it was. Mm -hmm. So. These are the teams you need to beat on road to a potential world championship. They saw what they could do in Tokyo. That's a memory now. Now you're looking forward to see what you can do with this particular group at a World Cup and finally find some success at this tournament. Certainly a lot more European teams to go through at a World Cup than there are at the Olympics, I think is something that has been spoken about a lot. But Sandra, in terms of the players that are here at this tournament for Canada, I know the squad came out last week. No, Christine Sinclair was the big one. She's got, unfortunately, far more important things on her mind at the moment. But a lot of the regular players are in here. And a few players that, you know, people who watch the Olympics might not be as familiar with. Just what stands out to you about this squad that Bev Priefman's picked here? You know what actually intrigues me the most right now is the goalkeeping situation. Because we obviously know Steph LeBay has... She's hanging up her cleats for good. She'll play a friendly, and basically that's going to be her swan song. So you have this number one goalkeeping spot that is ripe for the taking. And naturally you would think, okay, this is Kaylin Sheridan's essentially to lose, but then at the same time she hasn't been playing. So you've got this mix of players. NWSL, they're just getting into preseason or, or training camp, actually. And then you have another group of players who are coming in from Europe, and they're going to be in form. So I'm really curious what that balance is going to be like and if these players that haven't played since November in those friendlies versus Mexico, what they're going to look like. So I think a lot of minutes are going to be relied on, say, like a Shalina Zadorsky. She's been playing a lot. Obviously, we've got the players in France, whereas Vanessa Gilles, you know that she's been this incredible revelation for this program and for this team, but she's only getting to training camp over with Angel in, in California. So I'm really curious about that particular dynamic. And 
Uh, also, I'm thinking about Janine Becky a little bit because she hasn't been getting a lot of minutes there with Man City. So there's another bit of a wild card that she somehow end up in the NWSL again so she can get her playing minutes up. So a lot of a lot of things up in the air, a lot of balls to grab, no pun intended. But uh, I'm really curious to see what will happen here. Yeah, that's a fascinating talking point, a, re- a really good one. And the other thing about the absence of Steph Wabe is is leadership, right? With Christine Sinclair not being there now. You mentioned Zadorsky, and I always think about her run in the Olympics when she struggled a little bit for form and was moved out, but then came back in, right, at extra time, and she was on the pitch, right, for the penalties, and then she was where she needed to be at that point. But when you watch this team, Sandra, of the next generation, I suppose, that younger group in the 20s, like who are the players that you look at and you think that maybe future captains or can be that core leadership group around this team for the next five or 10 years? Well, it's so weird to be talking about Ashley Lawrence as a veteran, but I remember seeing her for the first time at seven, excuse me, at 17. And she's part of that 2014 U20 group that played in the World Cup here in Canada. And that to me is the, is the leadership. That is the future of this team. And I feel like I've been saying it forever, but Kadisha Buchanan, Jesse Fleming, Janine Becky, as well as Annette, Kaylin Sheridan. That to me is the crux of this team. But if we're looking just a touch a little bit younger, I'm wondering about Julia Grosso and Jade Riviere. Julia, I mean, it, it was almost because she was so naive. And I mean that respectfully that she kicked that penalty kick because she's like, listen, I've never done this before. So whatever happens is going to happen. And she's the hero. So for the rest of her life, she's going to be known as the player who won Canada the gold medal. And I'm curious how she builds on that. Julia Grosso also playing in Juventus now. So she's playing against world-class players. We'll have an opportunity to play in the Champions League. So I think I'm looking towards her to see what she can do. That 2021 calendar year, obviously incredible for this Canadian women's team, but you know, not to not to let the air out a bit here, but we do have to mention those friendlies in Mexico at the end of the year, right? They were they were, I think, a little disappointing for this program. So, just Sandra, it, it, do you think that that was a concern, or is there anything in particular you think that Bev Priestman has has maybe learned from that that camp down in Mexico that you think is hoping to be addressed here? Well, I think it was a lesson learned and just talking to Bev after those matches, what was it, in late November, you could tell she wasn't pleased. She expects more from her group and something that she's touted since she's taken over this program and what she said at the She Believes last year was, I need my players to be brave. And it seems like such a simple mentality, but it's something you have to do for 90 minutes. It's not just, okay, you put in one really good run and you're brave. No, this is 90 minutes of being brave. And it seems like something so simple, but she needs to continue pushing that on her players. Cause I thought they almost maybe thought it would be easy because, Oh, you know, we want to, we want a gold medal. This is Mexico. Guess what? Mexico's getting better. Mexico is one of those countries that now has its own pro league. And it's something that uh, I'm not sure if you had it as a talking point, but the lack of the pro league here in Canada, I mm-hmm. think, is something that needs to be discussed and will hopefully benefit this team going forward. But it's like you can't let your foot off the gas and you can't assume that teams are going to respect you and lie down for you just because you have that gold medal around your neck. So I think that's some bulletin board material for Bev Priestman's group. She's got some new players coming in. She's going to teach them that be brave mantra. And then we'll see what happens. You've got some really good competition. Three top 10 teams coming up here at at the Arnold Cup. Yeah, no doubt about it. Talking about being brave, I want to ask you about Jesse Fleming because she's probably one of the most courageous players on the team. And what I mean by that is wanting the ball, always mm-hmm. wanting the ball, not hiding behind the ball. A couple of people reached out to me last year, not necessarily soccer people, but they were talking about the Lou Marsh Award and Athlete of the Year. And, you know, people were talking about Steph Labe's actions. And, and I couldn't talk enough about Fleming because of the penalties that she scored in the Olympics. I thought she was marvelous. Maybe you can talk a little bit about her and to our viewers and what have you used to learn from her recently? Because she's been getting a lot more minutes, I believe, Sandra, at Chelsea as well, hasn't she? She's really starting to come into her own and getting opportunities at the club level that we already see at the international level. So if I can actually tell a story about Jesse Fleming, when she first came on the scene, I remember John Herdman was still coaching the women. And I went to this friendly in Vancouver. I think it was versus Germany. I, I, I can't remember the opposition. I apologize. But both Jesse Fleming and Yura Sur- Surayeka were there. And they yeah. and 
Jesse was being touted, and probably by me included. I'm sure if you looked at my Twitter feed or some of the stuff that I wrote or said, I was like, she's the next one. And that's our fault for anointing her with that because she came in at that young age, you know, that Carol Lang age, and, and was supposed to take the program by storm. And I think her projection was a little bit slower than people assumed because, yes, she wanted to finish her education at UCLA. She scored some bangers there, by the way. Like she was making Sports Center highlights and doing her thing on the NCAA level. And people are like, okay, is she going to go and play in the NWSL or is she going to go to Europe? So she signs this contract with Chelsea. And everybody just assumes. Emma Hayes and, and the team there, they're just going to slide her in and she's going to be playing starting 11 minutes. It didn't work out that way. She had to earn her keep at Chelsea. And I know a lot of the chat was, why isn't she playing? Why isn't she getting minutes? It, it took some time. And her career has had just this perfect, I think, upward trajectory where the more minutes she got, the more confident she got. And then she scored these incredible PKs. Gosh, that one versus the versus the U.S. Yeah. Roll that highlight reel like ice in her veins. And for such, actually, she's such um in person. She's such a gentle girl. Like she's yeah. very. I you almost see her as a as a little sister. You know what I mean? Rosy cheeks, just just so shy. And then you see her, and she's so fierce on the pitch. And I just to see her progress the way she did from those very early days and the pressure that we put on her. I think as media, we put it on her. I'll, I will take full responsibility uh, putting those headlines. Yep, she's the next one. They're really, you never know who the next one's going to be, but Jesse is certainly coming into that role where she is a household name now, just like Christine was at that age. Yeah, you certainly speak about pressure and, and see the way that she stepped up to those penalties is incredible. Sandra, heading into this Arnold Clark Cup, what do you think would make it a successful event, a successful camp for this team, other than you know winning games and, and beating these teams? Is it maintaining the defensive record? Is it creating more from open play scoring goals? Or is it you know certain players stepping up a little bit more? What do you think Bev Priestman really wants to see from this competition? I think it's all of the above, to be honest with you, and showing that you're no longer adapting to the teams that you're playing. Teams are adapting to the way that you're playing. So being rather having them react to you than you reacting to them. And I think that's been a little bit of an issue for Canada over the past couple of decades with this program. Okay, that's the way the Americans are playing. We got to play this way. No, we need to dictate the play pace. We need to dictate how we're going to take these set pieces. And I think that's really crucial because that's Bev Priestman putting her stamp on this program. No longer are we comparing to her to, oh, this is what John Herdman did. Nope, this is Bev's team and she wants them to play her way, which is be brave. And I think she wants to see that from her players. Defensively, I think we go back to the goalkeeping situation. Uh, I'm curious who will get the minutes, who will get the start. Sabrina D'Angelo has been playing in Europe. Kaylin hasn't been playing. You've got Aaron there who's, you know, they're probably more so in a leadership role. I'm sure Aaron could listen. Aaron McLeod is a revelation. She's been playing on this national team since, uh, what, 2002 in those U19s in Edmonton. So Aaron is Aaron. She's going to do her thing. And then you've got another wild card in Devin Kerr. So that to me is curious. Curious about the back line. You have two center backs who have seen starting minutes. Vanessa hasn't. So it's going to be how Canada adapts to a mixture of players who have and haven't been playing. It's, we're at this really weird crux of this international window right now where North America is not suiting up and Europe is. So that to me is the curious thing and how they adapt. They play England on Thursday. They play Germany on Sunday. And then the following Wednesday, they play Spain. First game in Middlesbrough, second in Norwich, third at Wolves. Uh, Sandra, this has been a pleasure. Can't thank you enough for joining us. You do a great work. Where can our, our viewers and listeners find your work uh, on the Canadian and, and women's soccer in general? You know what? It's all over the place. And I I have some news to share, but I can't share it right now. But it's going to be a platform where I hope to share more women's soccer and hopefully have, have these people as guests. But definitely I do a women in sport feature, which I try to really revolve around soccer as much as I can. Just follow me on Twitter, Esprusina. That's probably the best way it can drive you in those kind of things that I'm doing. But a lot of balls up in the air right now, a lot of projects on the go, but I promise I will continue to follow this team for as long as I can. They've kind of always been 
in my back pocket as, you know, the my baby. This is something that I followed since 2002 when I was just getting interested into journalism. And I saw that U19 tournament and that was, you know, that was it for me as a, as a high school kid. And here we are, however many years later and, and uh, still covering this team. So I promise I will continue to cover this team as much as I can. And, and thank you for covering the team. I know the players and the coaching staff appreciate it. Well, you know, I love the enthusiasm in your voice. That's why it was so great to have you on because that's what makes everything. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a job, but it's not a job, right? It's an, and I can I can tell how much you love it. So we'll keep we'll keep that up. We'll keep talking to you about it, and we'll uh, we'll cross paths again very soon. Have a great night. Stay warm out there in Calgary as well. I know it's a little cool. <laughs> yeah, you noticed right the two. Yes, what are yeah. we at? Minus three. Not too bad. Oh, this that's is not too bad at all. We're, we're, going right. we're, we're heading out to Hamilton tomorrow night for the Cruz Azul game, and we were expecting that to be cold. And Charlie tells me it's going to be a balmy eight, so we're all good. <laughs> yeah. You're all good. You don't <laughs> yeah. even need mitts or a toque, so you're good. Exactly. No, we're, we're fine. Uh, Sandra, <laughs> great you, stuff. Thanks, thanks so much. We'll speak to you soon. Keep up the great work. Thank you. All the best. You too, Sandra Prasina on the women's game. And as I said, big week coming up for them as well. Um, I believe those games are live on TSN. Uh, but again, England, Canada, Wednesday, sorry, Thursday, 2 o'clock, 2.30 uh, at Middlesbrough's Riverside Stadium. Um, that's a big one. And then Sunday, 3.15 p.m. Eastern at Carroll Road, Canada against Germany and Spain versus Canada in, uh, at Wolves uh, on next Wednesday. It's a round-robin tournament. There's not a final or anything, but the, the purpose is, is to play top-class opposition, Charlie, which is what you alluded to in, in one of your questions. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, England, Germany, Spain, I think, as Sandra said, they're top 10 clubs in the FIFA World Rankings at the moment. And those are the games that, you know, Canada needs to play, right? Yeah. To test exactly. themselves because they're going to have they're going to have World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF where they the only really top 10 opponent they're going to face is the United States. You need to play these games before a World Cup, especially to capitalize on that post-Olympics momentum. Definitely. This has been fun, my man. Uh, thanks to everyone who's joined us on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, let us know if you enjoy these. We're going to make them a regular thing. Um, Julian says, you will lose tomorrow. I'm pretty sure about that. I don't know who he's talking to. <laughs> Kelly and I are not playing. Uh, but, hey, if he's a Cruiser Soul fan, <laughs> all I'll say is, if if they do lose, you better hope they do. Because if you're not talking about this game enough in Mexico, if you guys don't win tomorrow night, they'll be talking about it big time. Right, Charlie? If we were playing, we would definitely lose, to be Me fair. Me and you would lose, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we're both Villa fans as well. And the way that Villa played on the weekend, oh, no. uh, we could we could probably get a little bit better than that on that as well. Uh, but that's enough of us. Uh, can't thank Bobby Smirniotis, Tristan Borges, uh, Ashton Morgan enough. Again, Sandra Prasina was brilliant. John Arnold as well. Thanks to Jeff behind the scenes, to Kenny, to Nick, to all the guys behind the scenes working on the show. Again, thank you for joining us. I know it's a busy time right now in sports with the Olympics going on, NHL. Congrats. I think Sidney Crosby just got his 500th goal tonight. So there's tons going on in sports. Uh, but in the end, uh, you spent time with us. So we'll thank you again for that. And we appreciate it. If you're not sure, we'll see you at Tim Hortons Field. Go down and get yourself a ticket. It's going to be a mammoth game, an historic cool. occasion uh, tomorrow night. Uh, forever first CPR game uh, ever in the CONCACAF Champions League. And finally, before we go, today at the Canadian Premier League, we launched our brand new campaign. You can read all about it on campl.ca, where you can also read all about Cruz Azul, Forge's trip there, Benedict and Charlie's pieces on there as well. We'll be all over the game tomorrow on campl.ca. But we leave you with our brand campaign that we talked about from the start today, launching it today as well. And that is Take Flight. Take Flight, everybody, and good night. There is something quite magical about heading into a new destination. A journey into the unknown. Not alone, but together as a country, as a sport ready to soar. An adventure to new places where previously no one could even imagine we would go. We are Canada and this is our sport. We are a group of women who reached the top and found the gold. We are a group of men who refused to be denied in our quest for Qatar. We are a country where children are born with a ball and dream to one day wear red. We are a Canadian Premier League where teams play and win in continental competitions. We are now a nation other countries are looking over their shoulders at when it comes to the beautiful game 
paying attention to us, knowing we are coming. Nations so used to playing at a high level, their route has long since been forgotten. Strap yourself in, Canada. You are closer than you think to reaching the summit. Yet it will be the journey that we will remember far more than the destination. We may have our medals and our missions. We may rise up the rankings and the standings. But on this odyssey, we will capture things that cannot be measured in possessions and PowerPoint presentations. This is our time. It is right now that we will take flight into the hearts and minds of millions and go where this country in this sport has never been. Are you ready?